The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning, and welcome to Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert, and I hope your day today is starting out as beautiful as mine is. You know, Washington and the East Coast have suffered some really horrible weather in the last couple of days, but today it is sunny and bright and beautiful, and we still have lots of lovely spring flowers, and these are the four days in Washington uh, that I just find lovely. Uh, So I I wish you a wonderful spring. And it is May, the 2nd of May. And in honor of May, uh, we are going to devote the next four shows to the uh, American Alliance of Museums. Now, the American Alliance of Museums will be hosting their annual meeting May 18th through 21st in Seattle, Washington. I know many of my listeners will be attending that meeting or will be participating virtually. And uh, and it really is a wonderful, although sometimes large and overwhelming event, uh, to get together with colleagues and friends and uh, uh, unplug a little bit from your daily routine and uh, really focus on some of the philosophical and pr- also practical uh, aspects of our industry. So today, in honor of AAM Month, I have uh, an, someone who works for AAM and uh, someone who is becoming a very dear friend of mine. I respect him quite uh, quite a lot, and that is Greg Stevens. Now, Greg has uh, many of you know Greg uh, through his uh, very active work uh, in AAM's professional development program. And since since 2007, Greg has been addressing career management and leadership development for the field. He is the creator of AAM's successful online programs, uh, the uh, AAM Career Cafe and Museum Career Labs. Greg is also the co-editor with Wendy Luke of a truly bestseller in the museum field uh, called A Life in Museums, Managing Your Museum Career. It is in its fourth printing, and for museum industry standards, that's pretty huge. Uh, He has also most recently written the afterwords for a new AAM publication, and I think much of our discussion today will give you some hints about what Greg is thinking about there. 
Uh, it, the book will be called Teaching the Museum, Careers in Museum Education. Uh, Greg all started his uh, career, has worked for many museums, uh, and I'm sure he will tell us a little bit about his career trajectory in a minute. He also holds a master's degree in museum education from the George Washington University and has his bachelor's in theater design from San Diego State University. So, Greg, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, as I as I just promised my listeners, uh, could you just uh, I've given only the briefest of bio and not given uh, really given you uh, your full due. But could you uh, just share with our listening audience a bit about your career trajectory and how this has shaped your views about career development? Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, um, I always like to start off talking about my career trajectory by letting people know that I was a college dropout, that at 20 years old, I decided I knew everything and didn't need any more education. Um, And it was at that time when I was in school for theater design that I landed at this funny little performing arts school in San Diego that uh, ended up being a career changer for me. And that is actually where I learned to hone my innate skills as an educator. It's where I I learned the power of museums uh, through some partnerships that we formed in that program. And in the process of doing that, I, I finally went back to school and got my bachelor's degree and turned around shortly thereafter and came to Washington, D.C. to get my master's degree in museum education at GW. So that's the very short short version of my career trajectory. Well, it sounds though as as if this uh, this really has has been a uh, has seeded. I know uh, many of your your thoughts about the museum, uh, the museum path or or a career path in general. Like uh, like many of us, uh, you have come to museums. Uh, you didn't start out that way. Uh, you came through a, a different portal, uh, and that being the theater. How do you think theater has uh, that background? has influenced your career? Well, Carol, you're right. One of the things that I've really noticed and observed over the last number of years in the museum field is that nobody has one singular path, um, and none of us really come to this work uh, in the same way or for the same reasons. I, I like to jokingly say in the workshops I lead on career development that nobody really came to this field for the money because um, it's notorious for not being a a high-paying career field, Um, but that we all come at it for some reason, some love of art or history or science or families or, or children. Um, and so that we all we all have a different perspective, a different entrance narrative, if you will, that flavors who we are, I think, individually as museum practitioners. But it also really, I think, influences the kinds of relationships that we build with each other. I, I absolutely believe this field is one that is built as much uh, on subject matter expertise as it is on relationships and, and those kinds of relationships we build over time. Uh, you're absolutely right. My, my theater background, it was sort of interesting because when I first came 
to the museum field by way of the, the museum ed program at, at GW, I had sort of mentally divorced myself from my theater background. At that point, I thought, well, I'm no longer a theater person, and I'm no longer an arts educator because I worked for nearly a decade at the school uh, building and creating visual arts units. Um, but I was going to be a museum person. And I, at that time, I didn't really see the connection between everything I knew in theater and what I was about to know in the museum field. So it was several years of, of being into my career in museums, uh, working in a, a several different museums where I started to realize, well, everything I really know, it comes from the work I did in theater, from creating something that never existed before, uh, creating something very visual and real that people can respond to, collaborating with, with people uh, on a, a project. Uh, I like to euphemistically say, you know, the show opens Friday night at 8 and the costumes have to be ready even if they're held together with safety pins. So um, doing whatever you need to do to make the project happen. And, and so it was, uh, that, kind of, that kind of perspective on my theater work really influences what I do in museums and here at the American Alliance of Museums now. You know what, I, uh, you've, uh, one of the things that strikes me in, in your description of your trajectory is something that we all tend to do, particularly as we're entering um, careers as, as, uh, as entry-level uh, uh, professionals, and most of us do learn at some point that it's, that it's pointless, and that is labeling ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a theater person. Uh, I'm a museum person. Uh, we do that a lot. Uh, we still call ourselves museum people. Uh, but it, it, I suppose we all are grasping for a certain identity, particularly in an industry that is so uh, broad and um, uh, multidimensional. But I think for entry-level people who are listening to the show, I'd just like to point out it has some limitations, as Greg just described. Well, you know, in, I remember being in high school and our career counselor you know, sitting down with me, with all of us, and helping us to identify what we wanted to be when we grow up and where we wanted to go to school and what we wanted to major in. And I look back on it now and I, and I think, mm, I don't think I knew what I wanted to be at all, uh, except at that time I knew I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to work in theater. And I ended up not doing that at all. I ended up falling into a, a theater design path that suited me more than being on stage. Now, the irony of that is... Every AAM webcast or workshop or session at the conference that I facilitate is not much different than being an actor on a stage. So, so it all kind of circles back around, I think. And I, you know, Carol, I'm interested in your, your perspective about the labels and what I might call career silos. I, I think you're absolutely right that in our field, which I think is really a, a tremendously generous field, very lovely, lovely colleagues that I, like you, that I get to know and work with and, and build uh, relationships with. But we some, I think we sometimes hover in our silos of museum educators or curators or exhibit designers or 
uh, any of the other functional roles in museums. And it, it's, it's something that rolls around in my brain, and I think, what would it be like if we, if we started operating uh, across the aisle, if you will, or, or started operating more across the aisle, where educators and exhibit designers are really kind of creating the same product and using the same process, just for an example. Yeah, I you couldn't be more you you couldn't be more bright, Greg. And I I think this this is uh, I loved your description of calling the museum world generous, uh, because I I think uh, it, that certainly has been my experience. As as you know and my listeners know, I started out as a research scientist. I I have a an advanced degree in molecular biology uh, that then uh, translated into doing curatorial work uh, in in the biological sciences, but eventually led me into uh, a broader area of museum education and and museum uh, leadership and exhibit development. So, uh, you know, in in most fields, you couldn't have done it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they would have looked at me and said, "Well, you know, where where where's your master's degree in museum education, young lady?" Um, but I was able because of the generosity of the field, uh, great mentors and leaders within the field, within my own institution at the Newark Museum, uh, I was able to grow within the field. And that was, uh, was, was just an amazing, uh, amazing opportunity. Uh, I, th- I think that we do, uh, one of the, the negative trends I see happening, um, sort of maybe an unintended consequence is this, this, uh, while we become more professionalized as an industry, we're, uh, we are in some ways siloing even more. And we are saying, you know, I have a, you know, a degree or a piece of paper in a certain uh, aspect of the field. And I think it's starting to, uh, to, to harm us. Uh, we know from your work and others, uh, you know, Linda Norris has been on the show talking about uh, creativity in museums, is that real creativity happens when a whole bunch of people get together uh, and, and break Absolutely. down their silos. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the – well, I frequently think about this, how how lucky I am to have the job I have and to work where I work. And my role in professional development here at the American Alliance of Museums, which for a lot of the field might be considered the mothership, if you will. Um, I certainly know I thought of it as such when I got hired on seven years ago. Um, but in, but over those years, I've been so fortunate to be able to communicate with and collaborate with colleagues from across the field, people that I would normally not ever have the opportunity to connect with, um, folks like you, and Carol, and you know, getting people to lead workshops or to uh, present in a, a webinar or a session at a conference, and so I get to work with people from nearly every aspect of the museum field. And so I feel in so many ways that I'm beyond being a museum educator, which is what I came to the field to be, but I get to be sort of a museum, I don't even know what to call it, Carol, a museum, a sort of a super educator, and I don't even mean that in the uh, in a, a way that, that's sort of grandstanding, but I, I get to communicate and 
work across the field. And, and so that's a, that's a particular treasure, a, a part of my job that I just really love. I, I, I would say, uh, and uh, coming up to break here, I would say that you, uh, you are a super facilitator, and I would almost uh, call you a museum nurturer. Uh, and maybe when we come back, we can we can talk a little bit more. Oh, about that's good. What... I'm going to write that down. I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> um, but uh, well, let's talk about that a little little uh, a little bit more. I hate to go go to break hanging like this. What I mean by uh, uh, nurturing, and I and I know in in you know our professional fields, we we try to be dispassionate and impersonal. Uh, but the fact is that I think the museum field is, as you said, we're, we haven't been drawn to it for the money uh, or often the prestige. Uh, we're, we're drawn to it because of a passion and a love of, of something perhaps that we uh, learned as children, uh, perhaps as something that we came to as uh, young adults, and it just opens up a, a world of, of opportunities and excitement uh, for us. So... But that has to be nurtured and supported, and I think that that's really what what you do, Greg. In uh, certainly in in the as you say the the mothership of of the <laughs> of the museum world is is to give it that uh, a nurturing face of a young a young professional and and uh, professional leadership. I, I absolutely agree, and you know, I when I lead workshops for colleagues, either emerging professionals or mid-career colleagues, I really emphasize the the passion of our work. Obviously, we're all we're all here working uh, using some skills that we either came to the table with or we acquired over time. But you have to really have a passion for the work you do, for the subject matter. And for relationship building, you, have, you really have to want to build and sustain those relationships. And, and I know after break, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Uh, so we are, as Greg said, thank you, Greg. Uh, maybe I'll use you as, as my co-host for all of these shows. You're very good at this. Uh, we are going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Greg Stevens uh, about professional development and also some of the work that he's been doing at AAM uh, in the past and what you can look forward to for the annual meeting coming up. We'll be right back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Remember, you can always drop me a line. Tell me what issues we should be talking about uh, on the show at carol.bossert at verizon.net. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Carla Howell, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm Carol Bossert, and I'm here today with Greg Stevens, uh, who is in charge of professional development at the American Alliance of Museums. And uh, right before break, we were just beginning to talk a little bit about, uh, well, we talked about our trajectories into the museum field, which were non-traditional, uh, if there is a tradition in the museum world. Uh, but Greg, you know... So you've really seen a lot of changes uh, from the time you you entered the museum world and and until now. What how how do you think museum professional development has changed over the past say ten or twelve years? Oh, that's a that's a big question and a, a whole conversation unto itself. But I will say that one of the things that I've been very aware of in the last 10 years or so is the mushrooming of museum professional training programs, meaning that there are so many university programs focused on museum studies or museum education around the country. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I like to say many of my favorite colleagues run these programs, and so I think they're, they serve an important purpose. But at the same time, each of those programs is graduating anywhere from 15 to 80 students every year. And if you multiply that by the number of programs, then it doesn't take it doesn't take too much digging to see that we've got a lot of people out there, highly qualified, skilled, and passionate, and not enough jobs for them, and certainly not enough paying jobs. And so I, I think that that. That is an important thing that's that's um, been happening over the last decade, and, and I don't mean to say that we need to end some of these programs, but I do think at some point in the not too distant future, we're going we're going to have to do as a field have to do a little examination of what it, what is this what is this machine that we're, we've uh, fostered that's uh, setting this this situation up. Um, I also think the 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 we, before the break we were talking about passion and really what drives us and and how important that is in in your work. 
I do think sometimes that the flip side of passion uh, can be somewhat of sort of a myopic perspective on the kind of work that we want to do or the reason why we came to the field. For example, I came to the museum field via museum education, but I don't, I'm not really a museum educator right now. I am a professional development specialist, and I pay attention to adult learning and creating programs for our audiences, uh, primarily AAM members, but um, I'm not a museum educator. And it was important at a, at a point in my career for me to recognize that there might be other things for me to do in the museum field that are not narrowly defined by by museum education. And I think this goes a little bit to our earlier conversation about uh, silos or sort of segmenting our field. So my, my advice might be to, to emerging colleagues or even folks who are thinking about making a career change. Really, what are those, and dare I say, transferable skills? What are those those drivers, the, the, your skill set, your passions that you could employ and redeploy in another kind of work within the museum field. So I think that's the, the proliferation of museum programs, but also the importance of being able to shift up your perspective about your work so that you might, be end, up, might end up doing something completely different than what you ever thought you would be doing. I think that that's a very important piece of advice, and I I am sure uh, that um, many of the museum studies programs uh, around the country do do communicate that. I mean, it's very seldom that... that, you know, you're not just taking one class, you're taking a variety of classes from mm-hmm. a variety of very, very highly skilled uh, professionals who who are devoting some of their time to, uh, to teaching. But when we look at leadership training, you know, whether that leadership is within your department, say you're in a museum education department, or whether it's leadership within the organization as becoming the museum director, those are all taking those broader skills of communication and commitment uh, and and working together with with other people to mm-hmm. to make to, to, to create things that are larger and more comprehensive than any one individual could do uh, and I think that's where sometimes smaller museums uh, really have an edge because if you are the exhibit uh, person, uh, for a small institution, you're doing everything from writing the labels to choosing the materials to hanging things on the wall or building the the boxes and vitrines and uh, and and sometimes even marketing the exhibit. Uh, Absolutely, I think, you know, and, I, and I, also I, running the the museum shop and. Um, cleaning the bathrooms, maybe. <laughs> yes, yes, I think I think very much so, and and so uh, uh, I others have said that you know smaller museums can be extremely creative because they can be extremely nimble. Now I think mm-hmm. that that also gets to another point that you have made often to to me in our our uh, conversations or lunch conversations, and that is you really have to know yourself and know where your skills lie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I. I th- uh, I think of myself as a very a reflective person, a, a very self-aware person, um, and so I've spent a, a pretty significant amount of time over the years stopping and taking stock, if you will, thinking about 
you know, the, the kind of work that I'm doing, is this, am I satisfied, am I making a difference, am I contributing to the field? I think one of my, I, I have many um, issues or, or things that I that I um, talk to colleagues about, and one of them is the the obligation and the opportunity to engage professionally. And and for me, what that means is, and this came to me early on in my museum career, where I realized I have an opportunity to raise my hand and to get involved, and w- whether that's uh, joining a committee or being the chair of a committee. Uh, I remember my first semester of graduate school, our program director, Carol Stapp, was emphasizing to us about the importance of getting involved in the field, and I remembered raising my hand, and I asked, how do you do that? And she said, you just did it, raising your hand. And so I think um, your career is really enhancing. You enhance the field by raising your hand, rolling up your sleeve and doing something. It might be presenting a session at at the annual meeting. It might be writing an article for a museum magazine or even your museum's newsletter. It might be being a presenter on a webcast. It might be joining the, uh, the educator's professional network. Um, but any way that you can be involved, and then on a very deeply personal level, I know that you and I share this philosophy, is the importance of paying it forward and, and giving it back. Uh, I have been a mentor to a number of colleagues, and I have been mentored by a handful of really lovely colleagues, including you, Carol. Uh, and, and so there's something really rich and rewarding about the two-way street that is, that is mentoring that is at the core of our, the relationship side of our museum field. I think that, well, first... Thank you, Greg, uh, for identifying the the raise your hand um, uh, philosophy and all of the individual things that anyone can and and really should be doing for our our, our field. Uh, we we don't write enough. We don't talk enough uh, outside of our individual museums, and I and I know as I go around in my consulting practice and and we're and have the uh, the uh, great joy of working with with institutions across the country and and around the world. I find uh, am am sometimes saddened about how isolated individual museum. Uh, uh, professionals feel and that can be from the the uh, board chairman to the director on down mm-hmm. uh, you, you know it's uh, if we were in the banking world in our town we would see four or five banks in uh, in our own town and we would probably go to the banking luncheon once a month and we could meet with others other professionals who are in our mm-hmm. field uh, but you know unless you are privileged to live in here in Washington or New York or Chicago some of the other major cities uh, in the country, Boston, uh, there aren't a whole lot of museums that you can, you know, see on your skyline, and therefore you have to drive at, you know, state organizations mm-hmm. or regional organizations to meet people. Now, I, I, I think this is where the proliferation of social media is really taking off, and it's been uh, so very exciting. Uh, that's a major change uh, from I certainly agree. when when I entered the field, but. You know what's interesting about what you just said, Carol, even in a city like D.C., and I love Washington, D.C., 
and I'm lucky that I get to walk six blocks to work every day. Um, but even in a big museum town like D.C., as colleagues, we don't get together as much as I would like us to I, or as uh, I think that we should. And I think that's part of uh, another one of those issues. You asked earlier about shifts in professional development. I think a, another major component of that is the economic downturn that we muddled through back in 2008 or 9, and in many cases we're still, uh, still recovering from that. What we saw happen in our field that is so impactful was that many museums sliced their budgets by 30% or more, sliced their staff by 30% or more. And so what you end up with is arguably leaner, more efficient machines, more efficient institutions, but you've got people working in them who are, what I like to say, time-strapped, attention-strapped, and money strapped. So they're doing more work because there's less people to do it. They, so they don't have as much time for professional development, whatever that might mean, whether it's a, a workshop or a webinar or just a networking event. Um, so they don't have enough time. And because we're sort of hyper-focused on the work that we need to do for our institutions and for our audiences, that we don't have, the, we don't have enough attention or we don't make enough attention time to raise our hands and get involved. And then, of course, the, the money issue, the, the budget cuts that we faced, uh, things haven't bounced back in, um, to the pre-recession days. And so people are finding it hard to engage in professional development programs if they have to pay a high registration fee or uh, the travel expense that goes with it. It can be really prohibitive. Um, and yet the flip side of that, which is, I think, another big trend that we're seeing, is that the cost of, of young colleagues going to professional training programs, meaning formal education programs in a university, is so overwhelming that we're starting to see a major trend, not just in our field, but across, across the, the landscape where people are looking for other ways to get their education and to demonstrate their learning. And so I think that's something that's on our mind here at AAM in terms of how we go about planning and delivering professional development programs that meet the needs of, of a of changing demographic. Well, and you certainly have uh, have done that in in your uh, tenure at AAM. Uh, you all providing a variety of uh, opportunities for professional development from the career cafe uh, uh, that that was part of AAM for uh, quite a while and uh, then some of your on online programs and now the uh, the book uh, let's let's not forget about the book. The book. Uh, the book, <laughs> A Life in Museums. I, I think that we should uh, give it to every um, entering. I was going to say uh, every every uh, museum graduate, but I think that we should give it to them when they start their uh, their professional careers, and uh, maybe give it to everyone who enters any museum. See, then that'll push it to your your fifth printing. Uh, <laughs> this this book is certainly uh, just filled a void. Um, I, I think it's safe to say. Well, How, thanks. I think so. 
And I'm not just saying that because I have a chapter in it, although it as is, uh, I'm very proud of, uh, of, of uh, being associated with, with the work that you and Wendy did. But I think all of the chapters uh, have so much to offer us at any stage in our career. Uh, and so what, how, how did that project come about? Well, I, first of all, thank you for the, the nice words. Uh, the idea for the book really came about because of the success of the Career Cafe at the AAM annual meeting. And, and for those in the audience who don't know, that was a, a very large section of the conference, uh, 50 or so sessions focused on career and management and leadership development. And uh, they were very highly attended and, and rated very highly. And, and since that time, we've integrated the career component of Career Cafe m- more into the overall program uh, itself. So it, it just has a different name. It looks a little different. But the success of those programs and a series of online programs that we did led me to have a conversation with our publisher, John Strand, uh, who heads up the AAM Press. And he, and he and I had a conversation, and he said – we need to repurpose some of this really great content. If if it's so popular, we need to get it out so more people can have have access to it. And that's really how the book started. When I um, and and John asked me if I would uh, head up the editing, and I really thought that who's the person I really need on board who has um, the kind of uh, network and the kind of HR related experience to help me produce this project. And I immediately went to Wendy Luke, who is somebody that I've known for many years and has been a part of my professional life in a variety of different ways. And, and that's really how it started. And, and looking at the, the content that we already had, we identified some holes of, of, of chapters where we thought we needed to fill in. And your chapter on the importance of uh, writing professionally was one of those holes, and, and you had done a workshop for me on that, so I knew that you would be the right person. But similarly, we reached out to the three dozen other colleagues that we knew who were subject matter experts in different ways. And, it, and so it was as much a responding to a need, um, it, it certainly was that, and it was also um, having a, a broad network of colleagues at our disposal where we could literally uh, jet off an email or pick up the phone and say, um, Carol, we're, we're planning this book. Do you want to write a chapter on professional writing? And Carol says, yes, I'd love to, and away we go. Um, so it, it was organic in that way, in a, in a, a, a very well man I think a, a nicely managed project, but in some ways it was very organic. Uh, which goes back to the relationship part of our field. You know, but it, uh, but all, uh, all, all lovely comments aside, it couldn't have been easy. It was, it was grueling. I will say that it was a grueling six or six to about eight months, I think, of of many late hours, many evenings, um, many Sundays spent at at Wendy's uh, kitchen table working on drafts and editing and and all that but it was you know in some ways it was like a, a piece of theater i i've always 
said everything I know about my work comes from theater. And in here, Wendy and I created something brand new, just like I used to do in theater. And here we, we had a publishing date we had to meet so that there was a deadline. And we did whatever we had to do to make the, the, the book happen, even if some parts of it were metaphorically um, hooked together with safety pins. Well, I, I do, I do think, uh, it, as I said before, it, it fills an, a niche. Um, do you have any, uh, idea at all, uh, who's, who's buying the book? I mean, do you get any kind of demographic information? You know, I, I don't have that, but I, I will say that our, our plan for the book from the very beginning was that in every way, it was to be a practical handbook, a guide, uh, and not landing too much in theory, but really giving people specific kinds of information. The other thing that we knew from the very beginning is that we wanted the voice of our colleagues, and so throughout the book you'll see various career paths. Uh, people are talking about their their unique career paths. And I've heard from a number of readers who have emailed me to say that that actually is their favorite part of the book they because they identified with some of those career paths or were surprised that somebody had that career path and they weren't alone um, so the the practicality of it the 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 handbook nature of it the the personal nature of it through these stories the other thing i think is important to note is Wendy and I never thought of it as a as a book just for emerging professionals. Our goal was to have it be applicable to people in the mid stages of their career, or maybe even in the in a senior, uh, you know, the uh, folks who have been in the field for a long time. We never intended the book to be a cover to cover read. We really hoped, and I and I've heard from a number of people that what we really want is to um, have people pick up the book when they need it. Uh, look at a chapter on resume writing if you need to brush up your resume or pick up the chapter on career mapping if you need to figure out what your next step is. So that that was kind of our approach and I think that's how people are using it. That's great. That's great. Uh, we are going to take another short break uh, and when we come back more with Greg Stevens and what you can look forward to at this upcoming AAM annual meeting. Again, I'm Carol Bossert with Museum Life. Be sure to drop me a line at carol.bossert at verizon.net and let me know what issues you think we should be uh, talking about on the show. We'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. All around the outermost rim of the shield, 
he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm Carol Bossert, and I'm here with Greg Stevens, and we've been talking about the importance of managing your museum career and about taking advantage of uh, career development opportunities uh, wherever you can find them. So, Greg, what uh, will AAM be offering this year's, at this year's annual meeting to support career development? Well, we like to, uh, we're obviously sort of running around like crazy here at the, at the AAM offices, getting ready for the conference and getting things packed up and shipped out. Uh, we like to say that the, the AAM annual meeting is the largest professional development program for the field. It is certainly the, the largest convening of museum colleagues in the world. We usually have around 5,000 or so attendees, which is great and increasingly a, a large number of colleagues uh, from uh, other parts of the world. So it's a really terrific uh, convening of colleagues. One thing that we do that I'm very much aware of is the reasons why people choose to come to the conference and why they choose to expend their resources of, of time and money and energy, of course, to be here for these three uh, three days of a conference. Um, we know that people come to learn something, and if that's who you are, then there are hundreds of sessions in different subject areas for you to learn more about the work that you do in your institutions. We also know that people come to be renewed and refreshed, uh, and I think you mentioned this a little bit before, uh, the idea of, of uh, connecting with people and being reminded of why we've chosen this crazy field. And, and so there's some terrific, terrific opportunities to do so. Everything from, um, obviously our, our, our general sessions and, uh, thought provoking sessions, big idea sessions, but also smaller opportunities like early morning table talks, uh, peer to peer discussion groups, um, some after hours programs. Uh, uh, evening events at some of, some of Seattle's amazing museums. 
Um, and we also know that people come for a, a social experience. That idea of, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, it's connecting with colleagues, uh, folks that you may never have known, or people you've known for years. And this is your one time every year to reconnect with them, uh, to find out what's going on in their lives, to have a glass of wine. And so we've uh, given the, those three areas, learning something, uh, being renewed and refreshed, and and reconnecting, we try to build a, an annual meeting program that satisfies people on a, on a number of levels. Um, in, in particular, one of the things that I'm very excited about this year is a new program that we're launching called Emerging Innovators Forum, and that'll happen on the Tuesday of the conference in our annual, in our museum expo hall. And that's a really uh, exciting program for me in particular because we're able to showcase about three dozen emerging colleagues. And these are graduate students or colleagues uh, who are in the first three years of their their careers. And so we've got a whole range of programs from exhibition models to uh, education programs to research studies that that these young and emerging colleagues are presenting. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm also very excited about early morning table talks that are being hosted by several of our professional networks, our affinity groups. Um, so there will be uh, programs on green museums and management and leadership topics, uh, working in a small museum, uh, helping to define the 21st century curator. So there's a, there's a lot going on at, at the conference, and um, it can be exhausting and overwhelming for, for folks. Um, but it's a, a really exciting time for us. Well, I I am really. You shared with me uh, the materials for the emerging uh, uh, innovators forum in preparation for this conversation, and I got to tell you, it's. I am so looking forward to this, and I am so glad you're doing it because, as as we talked about before, one of the challenges that we have is it's easy to get siloed, and it's easy to sit in our own little offices. Uh, and in mine, it's a very small little office with the dogs and the cats. Uh, and I don't have that opportunity to uh, to meet and talk about uh, with emerging professionals, and they have so many great ideas uh, that. New ideas that will will move us in into a new direction uh, in in our field, um, and because they have a very different perspective, uh, they've 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 come to maturity at a different uh, uh, time in the world, and I think that they bring um, uh, much to the table, and I'm thrilled that AAM and you are, are facilitating that. And I, I also the other point that that I I we should emphasize uh, is the raise your hand motto uh, can apply here at AAM very well uh, with as you say these affinity groups and pop up sessions and just an opportunity to chat with other people and raise your hand and and get to know what others are thinking about. Well, absolutely, mm. the the reality is that the annual meeting itself would not happen if it weren't for the hand raisers in our field. Every one of the sessions, that uh, the, the formal sessions that gets presented each year is there because somebody, a, a singular or a group of colleagues have come together with a great idea that they want to share with a broader audience. Um, and, and so it's really that kind of engagement that is a driver for the conference. Uh, and it's, you know, quite frankly, it's a, a, a good skill-building opportunity. 
their uh, being able to stand up in front of an audience of whatever sort uh, is a really great opportunity to build your public speaking skills, your presentation skills, and especially for these emerging colleagues in this Emerging Innovators Forum, this is an, an opportunity to get yourselves out in front of of people who may or may not have a job for you, and that's not the point, but the fact that you're becoming visible at an earlier stage of your career, I think is a really good first step. Um, we've got about uh, f- uh, four or five minutes to close, and I, Greg, I want to shift gears a little bit, and uh, just you shared with me a wonderful uh, article uh, for probably the foreword to your your next book, or at least I hope is your next book, and uh, you had this wonderful bullseye graphic, and of course we're on radio, so we can't show it to anyone, but could you? I think that this just is a wonderful culmination of uh, you know what uh, your advice uh, to the the uh, to the museum world and to uh, uh, professionals who are charting their career. Could you discuss that a little bit? Sure. Uh, the the bullseye model that you referenced, and, and for our listeners, uh, close your eyes and, and visualize a, a stone being thrown into a pond and, and the ripple effect. So you've got this series of concentric circles. And for me, that represents a couple of things. Primarily, it's a, a driver behind my work here at AAM. And, and it, for me, it means that I do whatever I can to help individuals be the best they can be in their jobs so that they can strengthen their institution's ability to do what it does and to build community and communities of practice. And by bringing all of those parts together, individuals and institutions and communities of practice, we help shore up the museum field. And for me, a a stronger, more unified museum field can speak as, as AAM President Ford Bell says all the time that we can speak with one voice about why museums are essential to those people who make decisions about museums in our society. And, and so for me, it's a, maybe an overly simplistic model, but uh, my advice to uh, anybody listening in on this program is be engaged, raise your hand as an individual, as a committed professional, because what you do in your institutions and for the field makes a difference. And you, in that way, you really become a, a change agent for the field. And, um, and I, I think it's critical. Well, I, I think that that's well put and uh, really follows along one of the themes that has emerged over the past several months as I've been doing museum life, and that is is that as museum professionals, we are part of our communities and we have a commitment to our community uh, to do our best work and, and provide our, our best service. And we do that by supporting ourselves and making our making our our individual skills and abilities the best they can be uh it goes back to that that old saw of put your mask on first uh before you help others if you're mm-hmm. uh, you know the oxygen mask 
mask uh, philosophy. So mm-hmm. it uh, this is this is you know, Greg. It it never ceases. Um, I am always so impressed and so uplifted uh, after you and I have had a conversation. I want to go out and write more and talk more. Uh, it uh, it gives me um, more excitement about bringing in uh, merging professionals onto the show and uh, and just the show in general. Uh, and I hope in some small way is 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 helping uh, museum professionals and in, in their professional development. And I'm so glad you said that, Carol, because I I think your you and your program, the Museum Life, are it's a perfect example of raising your hand. And you obviously created something that didn't exist before. Um, and I'm a little jealous because I have to tell you, after right after I got out of graduate school, I had this vision in my mind that I was going to be the host of a PBS program called Greg the Museum Guy. <laughs> um, and now you've now you've just stolen that thunder away from me. No, no, there's there's plenty of room under this tent. Greg, uh, it has been, uh, as always, uh, thank you for being my friend and my colleague. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the museums uh, and museum professionals that you help. Remember, AAM is May 18th through the 21st in Seattle, Washington. If you can't make it to Seattle this year, you know you can go. Uh, the uh, The conference moves around year to year, so there will be. Uh, time where it's geographically practical for you uh, you to attend. Uh, thank you, Greg, for everything. Uh, and uh, listeners, uh, please tune in next week where we will be talking with Beth Merritt about the future of uh, museums as part of our AAM month in May. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. This is Carol Bossert with Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.